the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, everybody. We'll talk about Liz Cheney. We'll talk about Israel and the Middle East. We'll talk about a whole host of things. But first, something I have been looking forward to and a person I've been looking forward to for a while. On a subject about which I fully acknowledge vast ignorance. Nevertheless, it is very important. I try not to be ignorant about important subjects, but this one is an exception, so I will learn along with you about Bitcoin. Michael Saylor is the CEO of MicroStrategy. He is the founder of the Saylor Academy, about which we'll hear something, and a leading authority on Bitcoin. Michael Saylor, I deeply appreciate you coming on the Dennis Prager Show. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Well, I wasn't kidding. As much as I read about it, I don't understand it. So start me from the beginning. Okay. Um, What is Bitcoin? Well, I think... um, If we started with gold, it's easy to understand Bitcoin. Uh, The idea of gold is um, I buy a bar of gold and uh, I bury it somewhere and I hold it for 100 years and 100 years I've still got the gold. So we call that a bearer asset. So we've had the gold standard for 5,000 years and typically, you know, when people had money and they wanted to save it and, and hold it for long periods of time, they would convert it to gold. Now, the problem with gold is that gold miners keep creating more gold so that inflates the supply. And the more gold that you create, the less valuable the gold is. And the second problem with gold is I have to store it in a vault in Manhattan if I've got a lot of gold. And then the bank has control of it. And uh, it's not easy to move it. If I, if I had a lot of gold and I wanted to carry it through a, uh, an airport, I couldn't get it through a metal detector. And, uh, and the other problem with gold is if I had a bunch of gold buried in my house and people knew I had it, they could just blow up the house and the gold would last. Uh, gold's pretty indestructible. So I can shoot you in the head and take your gold. And <laughs> that means that it makes you a target. Uh, the final problem with gold is that uh, if you actually put a bunch of your wealth in gold, bankers and financiers will create gold derivatives and uh, they call it paper gold, and then they'll short sell it. You might have, you might sell for every one ounce of real gold, you might sell 100 ounces of fake gold, and that keeps the price down. So if, um, if God came down from heaven above and wanted to fix gold, what would you do? Well, the first thing you would do is you would identify 21 million gold bars, and, that's what, and Bitcoin is that, 21 million coins. So the second thing you would do is you would make it illegal to mine any more gold. So there will never, ever be any more mining of, of the gold coin. So Bitcoin is maxed at 21 million. There will never be any more than 21 million. 
The third thing you would do is you'd wave your magic wand and make it uh, dematerialized, just virtual gold, because that way it doesn't, you know, a, a billion dollars of gold weighs like 30,000 pounds. Well, what if a billion dollars of gold weighed like nothing? So I make it virtual gold, and um, and now I give it a protocol. That's the fourth thing you do. Give it a, a software protocol so you can program it on your mobile phone or put it on a computer. And if I have programmable gold uh, on my computer, then I can move it at the speed of light anywhere on Earth, and I can create a computer program that will do a million transactions or a million operations a second on the gold. I can make it smart. So the idea behind Bitcoin is let's create a digital gold which is smarter, faster, stronger than ordinary gold. If Let's make it live forever. Uh, the problem with gold is if I create 2% more gold every year, then you divide 2% into 72 and you realize the half-life of gold is 36 years. That is, if you store a bunch of money in gold, it'll, you'll lose half of it in 36 years. You know, over the course of 100 years, you know, you're going to lose 90% of it. What if I didn't want to lose it ever? What if I wanted it to last forever, for a million years? Well, I can't keep doubling the amount of gold. So, so Bitcoin is, in essence, an immortal, stronger, faster, smarter form of gold. Now, that sounds like a really good idea. But what's the problem with that? Well, it's a computer program. And what if the programmer changes the program? And so the real genius of Bitcoin is they created this, uh, this computer program in cyberspace, but they didn't give it to a company or a CEO. They decentralized it and they scattered it like a life form, like planting algae or something and just letting it spread throughout everywhere else on Earth. So Bitcoin runs identically on, on tens of thousands of, of computers Nobody controls them. Nobody can even figure out where they are. They're all talking to each other. And so there's no CEO to screw it up. There's no company to screw it up. There's no bank to seize it. There's no country. There's no mayor. There's no governor. There's no federal government that can change the rules on you. Once you, you release that into cyberspace, it's just like a living life form. So what is Bitcoin? Well, Bitcoin is uh, digital gold on an open, decentralized monetary network, which has very particular rules, but no rulers. Nobody can change it, and, any, and it's very egalitarian. Anybody on Earth, in any country, any time, they, uh, they can plug into the Bitcoin network, and they're all treated fairly and equally with nobody playing favorites. And nobody can take advantage of anybody else. So that's what Bitcoin is. It's a very fair, open, digital monetary network. Okay, I have a lot of questions. That was wonderful, Lloyd. Thank you. Uh, if there is a terror attack or the grid goes down or there's a terrible earthquake where I live in California and I need to barter or buy food... If I want to offer somebody who has food gold or Bitcoin, which would they take? Well, I think the gold bug sometimes will make that argument, I guess, that 
if every computer, if your mobile phone shut down, no, no, even no, 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 down, no, even even if forgive me, even if they weren't shut down, uh, a, a guy, yeah. a guy has uh, bread, and right. uh, I say, what would you like? Uh, turn on your computer or your phone, and I'll give you Bitcoin or I'll give you gold. Well, I think Bitcoin's much better because Bitcoin can be distributed to. Eight billion people on a fifty-dollar smartphone, and you can buy three hundred eighty-two dollars of Bitcoin for less than one percent commission, and you can transfer it instantly, and you can sell it for less than one percent commission. So it's completely liquid and egalitarian, and it goes to the four corners of the earth. And anybody, you know, a guy in, in Africa with an Android phone that costs forty-two dollars could somehow pay $18 to another person in Africa. Whereas if you think about gold, gold gold in a quantity less than a couple of hundred thousand dollars, it trades with a markup of 40%. I mean, you have to pay a 40%, 50% commission, wait six weeks to order gold coins. And if you wanted to sell your gold coins back and monetize them, like these guys will buy your, they'll buy your gold at $60, and they'll a coin, and they'll sell it to you at ninety dollars a coin, and there's four weeks delay. So the overhead, I mean, there's no way that the that the world is going back to gold coins or silver coins because you can't cut them in half, and you can't ship them, and you can't give them to five billion people, and uh, it costs forty percent markup. So in theory, you like the idea of having a coin, but like so how? How are you going to buy eight dollars and seventy-two cents worth of stuff with a a one ounce gold coin that costs you two thousand one hundred dollars? What are you going to do? You know, practically speaking. Right. So for the layperson like me, at least with gold, and gold is not the issue, but obviously you've raised it, and it's fine. I have something that exists. I have something physical. I don't think people could wrap their heads around. I can't fully. I own nothing but uh, uh, but something on my phone. I I, oh, I, I own. Uh, yeah. Let me let me take a different uh, approach. Let's talk about if I wanted to give music to five billion people, and my choice was Amazon Music or Spotify streaming for nine dollars a month, or ship you a Steinway grand piano. Yeah, it, it's pretty obvious. I can't ship a piano with a, a piano player to 5 billion people. All right, I hear you. Please hold on. This is, you're, you're, you're invaluable. Michael Saylor, thank you. We'll be back. Hi, Dennis Prager here again with a message for anyone struggling with pain. Of course, I want you to know about Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that tens of thousands are now taking every day. I take it every day. I like being out of pain. But I know you may be skeptical. I certainly was. Then I kept hearing about all the people, including my wife, who were no longer in pain. So I decided to give it a try. In fact, listen to Janice's story. I was skeptical at first. But because of the pain that I was having when I would uh, substitute teach and have to climb stairs, so I have lower back, hip, and even knee pain. And after about three weeks, I found that I could climb stairs pain-free. But it wasn't only pain-free. I could do it step over step without holding on the railing. I'm really happy. It makes me feel like I'm young again. That's relieffactor.com or call 800-500-8384. 
800-500-8384. Hi, everybody. One of America's most prominent business people, Michael Saylor, the CEO of MicroStrategy, also founder of the Saylor Academy, which we'll learn about in a moment. We're talking about Bitcoin and having it explained. Who who came up with this idea? Unless you want to continue your Steinway Spotify analogy. Yeah, let, let me just quickly uh, yeah, resolve that. What we want to do is we want to give music to billions of people. So we dematerialize it, make it digital, we make it run on a mobile phone, and we put it on a, you know, a, a streaming protocol. Uh, if you want to spread your ideas to people, right, you put them on the radio waves because everybody can't show up in person, right? The physicality of you giving a speech in person is going to be too expensive. If I wanted to give um, knowledge to billions of people, I can't do it with books or libraries. That's too expensive. So I upload them digitally to Google, and I make them available for free, and you just get an iPad, you download 100,000 different books for the cost of electricity. And so the challenge of Bitcoin is how do I give property rights to billions of people? Um, property rights meaning, you know, somebody in Africa, Asia, South America, they work, they make $500, but how do they keep it for a decade? If they invest it in Nigerian currency or Zimbabwe dollars or, or the Bolivar or the peso, it, that, that currency is going to go to zero. So they can't do that. And if they try to buy land with it, not everybody can, you know, land's expensive to buy and someone can take it from you. And they can't necessarily buy the exact amount of gold. And so how do you maintain your property rights? And uh, gold is like the Steinway Grand Piano solution. It's a physical solution. It was the best idea we had for 5,000 years. And Bitcoin is the technical solution, dematerialized property that you can carry in the palm of your hand or put in your head. And the advantage of dematerialized property is you can have any amount of that property and nobody can take it away from you. And if you want to give it to your grandson or granddaughter or you want to send it halfway around the world, you can do it. You can't mail your ranch in California halfway around the world. You can't move a building in Manhattan halfway around the world. You can't move bars of gold around the world. And so all the, you know, you can't move shares of stock. And of course, there's 8 billion people on the planet. Not many people can buy stock to save their life savings to preserve their wealth. So, so Bitcoin running on a, a cheap smartphone is the most egalitarian idea we've come up with to allow uh, everybody on Earth um, an instrument of economic empowerment. So that that's why it's important. I mean, if you were rich and affluent, you could have a library, a piano, or a bar of gold. But it's just not going to work for the middle class, and it's not going to work in developing world. Our best hope is to dematerialize that virtuous thing and put it on a digital network and deploy it to somebody's $50 Android phone. So if I understand it, this is based upon people agreeing that Bitcoin matters. Without that agreement, it, it, it's nothing. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you could think of it as like a, un a monetary union or a savings loan in cyberspace. 
and as people join it, right, they're, they're joining a monetary network. And the more people that join the network, the more powerful it gets. But look, it's just like Facebook. It's Facebook for money, except, you know, nobody ever joined Facebook with a billion friends. It's like, you know, Google, YouTube wouldn't work either if nobody actually clicked on YouTube. And WhatsApp wouldn't work if nobody actually used the network. So it is a monetary network, not a social network and not a search network and not a, a video network. But everybody needs a monetary network. So I think we'll have 250 million people on this network by the end of this year. And uh, what you've got right now is like 3 million a week joining. I mean, Coinbase is like, you know, Coinbase and Binance and, and, and uh, PayPal and Square the most popular mobile apps that people are downloading right now are so they can get on the cryptocurrency network. Is it taxable? Bitcoin's property. So the way to think of it is, is uh, it's tax-like property. If you buy it for $1,000 and it doubles in value, if you sell it, you'll owe capital gains tax. And if you transfer it, you'll owe capital gains tax. Just like if you bought... Uh, a house or stock or any other asset. So the right way to think of it is it's not currency. It's not a cryptocurrency because currency isn't taxable when you transfer it. It's a crypto asset. It's like digital gold and it is trans, it is taxable when you transfer it. So the right thing to do, of course, is don't ever transfer it and don't ever sell it. Buy it because it's going up in value over time. And if you ever need additional money, what you do is you finance it, like uh, taking out a home equity loan. You're better off to use it as collateral and borrow against it because then you don't pay capital gains tax and you don't incur income tax and you don't pay tax on the borrowings either. It's the most tax-efficient thing to do is construct a very high-quality portfolio of assets and hold them forever. Who came up with this idea? Yeah, so Bitcoin was invented by Satoshi Nakamoto, and we don't actually know who Satoshi Nakamoto is. We think it's it's one or more computer scientists who are experts in cryptography uh, coming out of the cyberpunk movement. Um, but, uh, Satoshi worked on the project for about two years and then just disappeared, never to be heard from again and uh, gave this as a gift to humanity. So it's thought of as the immaculate conception. It's a big advantage for the network because there is no founder and there is no founding company. And all of the, the original coins uh, mined by Satoshi have never moved the first million. They were just used to start the network and, and the network decentralized ever since. So it's, it really is like money of the people. It's, it's like the only computer program in the world that we, that we have that literally has no architect, founding company, or owner. It really is just, it's open source owned by the world, and somebody in China or Russia or Norway or California or Venezuela, they equally own it. And uh, they all have the same privileges. Do, do you see this? Do you see this replacing currencies, including the dollar? No, I don't think so. Um, it's called a cryptocurrency, so that confuses people a bit. But it's real. If you think about money, 
Money has uh, has a couple of aspects. It's used as a medium of exchange. It's used as a store of value. It's used as a unit of account. And if the money of the world was not inflationary, if, if for example, there was a fixed number of U.S. dollars and nobody printed any more of them, then you could use the currency as a store of value as well as a medium of exchange. That would be perfect money. But we, we've never really had that, not since the gold standard, and we got off the gold standard in 1914. So in an inflationary environment, money decomposes into a currency and into an assets component. The currency component is the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency. All right, all right. I, I don't know if you could stay on. I hope you can. I want to hear about your academy. I'm speaking with Michael Saylor, MicroStrategy. Don't you get tired of commercials screaming at you to buy gold now with inflated promises on future values? In an unregulated industry, you need honest, real experts to give you solid advice to protect your wealth and top picks on the best coins and bullion. As environmental policy becomes a hot topic, one precious metal that's been significantly undervalued for years is potentially set to surge. Nick Grovich, owner of AmFed Coin and Bullion, has long recommended this precious metal. Up to 600,000 ounces of this rare metal will be needed by 2030 to produce green hydrogen. Nick is doubling down on this pick, and you should too. Call Nick at AmFed Coin and Bullion to find out more. I've been friends with Nick for years, and he's my go-to guy when it comes to coins and bullion. I trust him. That's a very big statement, by the way. Call Nick at 800-221-7694-800-221-7694, AmericanFederal.com, AmericanFederal.com. Michael Saylor is the CEO of MicroStrategy, founder of the Saylor Academy, and a leading authority on Bitcoin. This is my first venture on the radio into Bitcoin. It's been very illuminating. I'm very grateful. Tell us about uh, your Saylor Academy. Sure. Well, the idea behind Sailor Academy was um, most of these college courses like uh, calculus or physics, they've been around a long, long time. So why can't we just upload the video lectures along with the course materials and make them available for free for everybody on Earth? Because when I went to MIT, you know, it impoverished my family you know, we pretty much burned through our life savings in the first four weeks I was in college. And I thought, why don't we just give people a computer science degree or a physics degree or a chemistry degree via online website method? So we created the Sailor Academy and we paid professors to create courses and we, we uh, put textbooks in the open source domain or in, in the Creative Commons domain so they're free for everybody. And we just give it to the world. I think we've had about 850,000 students so far. We add about 80,000 students every quarter, maybe 90,000. And, um, and, you know, it's a simple idea. It's just make education free for everybody forever. Oh, man. I would hug you. I don't know if you'd accept the hug, but I would hug you. I, I want to understand with, in this regard, do you get a degree yeah, right now we have cross accreditation, so you get the degree from another another college that accepts our credits. But in the next twelve to twenty four months, we're going to convert into in, from a Sailor Academy to Sailor University, and then we'll issue a, our own degree. 
that takes uh, it takes a little bit of effort. You have to go through a lot of uh, a lot of regulatory filings. We had that a we added a librarian to our staff because librarians are required in order to be accredited as a university. So we keep doing. Well, you'll also like you'll, you'll definitely need a dean of diversity. All sorts of interesting, interesting uh, requirements. Yeah. But uh, the short of it is, right now, we, you know, we give everybody uh, the courses, the certifications, and the credits through uh, a whole network of affiliated colleges and universities, and uh, very shortly we'll be our own university. And you want to maintain this as free? Yeah, the whole idea—it's a—it's a nonprofit charity, and. I don't have any heirs, so when I die, all my assets pretty much go to this foundation that funds this this online university. And the idea, the big idea is, is anybody ought to be able to get a computer science degree or a physics degree or history or whatever degree for not even a nickel, for zero, just completely. Because who, who you you know, getting... we're not trying to run it for profit. Yeah, no, no, I think it's awesome. Uh, uh, uh... Just the charity. What, why, theoretically, would this not end physical universities? Um, you know, I, I think that the world can't def- What are we going to see? We're back to that Steinway Grand Piano example. Rich people and affluent people have pianos, and they have books in their library, and they have beautiful things, you know, sculptures, and they have gold jewelry, and they have the like. It, it that doesn't go away when you invent Spotify and the iPad and Google, you know, and iBooks. It's what's going on is we're just expanding the pyramid to people in the world that just can't afford to spend two hundred thousand dollars on their graduate degree. I I think that people that can that come from affluent families are going to keep going to MIT and Harvard and Stanford and and to whatever. I mean, the university has three components, right? There's the country club component. I want to send my kids to a really beautiful campus where they're going to be able to do sports and meet other people, and there's nothing wrong with that. And then there's the education component. They're going to learn something, and that you can learn something online via streaming video and computer uh, much better for about – you know, you can't learn ballet or golf maybe or I mean, physical things, but – but computer science, you can definitely learn online without... How do people find out information about your academy? Sailor.org. S-A-Y-L-O-R.org. It's just right there. It's free. I right? hope we speak again. I think that this is incredibly important, what you're doing. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we, we welcome everybody. Anybody can come. So if anybody wants more information on Sailor Academy, go to Sailor.org. If you want information on Bitcoin, go to Hope, H-O-P-E. Bitcoin is hope. We've dedicated that domain to information on Bitcoin. Excellent. Thank you again so much, Michael Saylor. It's a visionary. Hello, my friends. Two and a half million U.S. college students face vaccine mandate. Immune or not? This is from Epic Times. This is a truly scary thing, and it raises my contempt level for universities to a new high. That's why I wish Sailor Academy much luck. 
these institutions are destructive in every way, colleges. More than 180 college and university campuses across the U.S. are requiring more than 2.4 million students to produce proof of vaccination to attend in-person classes this fall, regardless of whether the students have acquired immunity to the virus. The like the number of schools with a mandate is likely to grow by then, especially if the Food and Drug Administration grants full approval. That's correct for any of the vaccines. This is very scary. Forcing people for whom the virus is as is close to zero danger to take a vaccine that was developed in one year is novel it's an it's an rna based mrna vaccine it is clearly effective at this time but and this is no knock against it it may be a, a miracle vaccine but we don't know the long term effects so why should young people Of all people, why should young people be forced to take it? Nobody's given me an answer to that. Why should young people be forced to take the vaccine? They're taking a vaccine against something that is incredibly unlikely to hurt them. They might as well take a vaccine against traffic accidents. Only a handful of the four dozen schools contacted for this article offered direct responses for why an infection-conferred immunity isn't being considered an exemption. The vast majority responded by referencing their immunization exemption rules, which don't address acquired immunity. When pressed for an answer, several schools said they couldn't offer more information, while others said they are still finalizing their policies. The few that responded pointed to guidance by the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, which advises people to still be vaccinated because, quote, experts do not yet know how long you are protected from getting sick after recovering from COVID-19. What does that mean? So how do they know how long you're protected by the, by the vaccine? Of course, it doesn't make any sense. It, why isn't it comparable? Since when does getting a virus not immunize you to further sickness from the virus? That's the whole point. You have the antibodies. Having the virus should be equivalent to getting the vaccine. Anyway, the whole thing is absurd. If the vaccine works, why do you care if the other students have the vaccine? Correct? It, 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 the whole thing is it, it, it is is evil. It's just evil and stupid. Terrible combination. The scared run our universities. The scared teach your children. If this if this last year has not de- developed in you contempt for the teaching industry, it's not a profession and it's an industry. There are some wonderful teachers, but by and large. 
especially in metropolitan areas. They're a combination of leftist and coward. The cowardice came through. Oh, I'm not going to go in where a kid might be infected. Really? How many teachers have died because of student infection? In Sweden, zero. Where they opened, they had the schools open the whole time. People say to me all the time, so where would we move if we left America? My current uh, advocacy is Sweden. Shows you how much the world has changed. Of course, I have no intention of living, leaving the United States. The reason, a big reason, the biggest probably, is I feel that those who died for its liberty deserve that I fight for it during my lifetime. I can't leave the place that the guys on Normandy Beach died for. Beach Boys. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Are they still performing? Why did I why did I ask that? I asked that, obviously, because I think they might be. So that was uh, self-evident. I'm sorry? They broke. They've broken up. So different parts are. Thank you. So I'm not taking Bitcoin uh, calls, but I thank you for uh, calling them in. I. Uh, some of you are taking issue with me. I don't even. There's nothing to take issue with. I have no position. <laughs> I welcome people taking issue with me. There's no issue to take with with me with regard to Bitcoin, since I have no position on the matter. Okay, just wanted to uh, just wanted to make that clear. College is telling you you can't attend without having taken the vaccination. Gives you an idea of the low level of leadership at our colleges. First of all, it's not moral. I thought people should be free to do what they want with their own body. That was a lie. They never meant it, and it was a lie to begin with because it it's never the woman's body. It's in the woman's body. So that it was, now it's a double lie. They don't believe, the, they don't even believe what they say. They just say what they say. It's like they said, dissent is patriotic when, when George W. Bush was president. But dissent today uh, is, in, is uh, to be squashed. So it's just a line. People can do what they want with their own body. They they don't uh, believe that at all. They control what you do with your own body more and more. Secondly, if I'm vaccinated, why why the hell do I care if you're vaccinated? Thirdly, if I had the uh, COVID, why is that not sufficient? Why do I still need a vaccine? And might it not be a danger to have a vaccine on top of the immunity that al- already one has from having had COVID? These are questions. They're fair questions. I, I don't. Uh, I don't envy parents. I know. I know a parents who's of a brilliant daughter who's going to enroll in one of the UC schools. But they don't. They don't believe that there's any reason for a young person to take the vaccine, which I completely agree with. Nobody's given me a good reason. If I had a good reason, I'd be fine. This is a very, very bad 
moment in American history.